Welcome to Season 2 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. Welcome, everybody, to another Filament Games podcast. It's me, Brandon, and it's him, Dan. Yep, that's that's correct. And there we are. We are. We have been identified. We have been identified. Nomenclature has been applied. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we're talking about a bunch of things, like we always do. Mm-hmm. Um, but first, what I need to know, obviously, the first thing I need to know every day, because I, I, you know, I've been busy. Yeah, I haven't been talking to you about this. Yeah, what are you playing? I've been watching the overs super hard. Overwatch. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I've never heard of that game. Yeah, I've been playing Overwatch. All right. Uh, it's been a nightly occurrence at this point. All right. What's the class du jour? <sighs> well, well, I think one of the interesting things about Overwatch is that strategically, if you're on point, you're going to be changing classes very regularly. Oh, okay. Uh, you're, the teams are small enough and there's enough hard counters in the classes that it seems like at least in just like regular pickup play, sometimes your team's the wrong shape and you need to adjust. Oh, sure. And it's something I did a lot in TF2, um, but I think it's even more important in Overwatch just because of the smaller teams. And like one strong player in one strong class like can make a team or uh, or break a team. So sometimes you're like, oh, well, that person over there is dominating, so I need to, I need to switch over to a hard counter to figure it out. Fair enough. Uh, now, uh, I'm curious about this. Uh, uh, did you ever play um, arenas in WoW? Did you ever do that? Like uh, the small <laughs> team-based battles? I did like once. Okay. I went in, I brought my warlock in with a paladin, and mm. I died instantly. And I was like, where are my heals, man? Yeah, that is also my experience of the yeah. arenas in WoW. Yeah. I'm very bad at that. Yeah. Uh, but I was just wondering if, uh, well, you may not know, but I'm just wondering if there is any kind of arena dynamic that carried through into overwatch you know in terms of being like a small team based battle i think honestly i would say that it almost feels more like a moba oh okay because you have abilities on cooldowns i mean yeah it's kind of like wow but it's a very small set you've got Mm -hmm. usually two or three abilities to think about i see um and that is more mobile like yeah and a lot of the a lot of the strategy is, you know, are a lot of mobile-like strategies, like okay. trying to pull people into the group to get them smushed or, uh, you know, trying to run outside routes to find stragglers and things like that. I see. Yeah. It's lovely. It's a beautiful game. Um, I, uh, I'm pounding my fist on the chair in rage in mm. a regular basis in a good way. <laughs> Yes. I think in a good way anyway. I'm not sure. <laughs> in a way that's definitely not shaving years off your life. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> your heart pounds and you're sedentary. Yeah. Um, I have thanked no one. That's one of my trademark frustrations. All right. I'll like do something, like I'll stun the entire team on the point and then realize that no one else is there and I'll be like, thanks, no one. <laughs> <laughs> like on comms? Oh, no. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> I keep, I, yeah, I keep my complaints to <laughs> off mic. Because that doesn't help anybody. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Well, I'm glad you got that out of your system. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been playing Starbase Orion, which is a mobile game, Hmm. and I recommend it. Yeah? It is a sufficiently compelling 4X mobile experience. 
Really? Yeah, and it's cross-platform. I play it primarily on the iPad, but you can play it on iPhone, too. Starbase or Ryan. Mm-hmm. Plugs right into the cloud, so you've got saves across all your many iOS devices. Right. Um, but yeah, it's fun. Would you... Forex uh, in space. All right. That sounds really good. I mean, uh, to me, Forex is often defined by large, torturous interfaces that ultimately are worth it. So how does that game handle that? Uh, it's a little trickier on the phone, but still not too bad. Um, but they've, uh, I think that they've got a few views that are, uh, I don't know, really intuitive and make it so you can consolidate a lot of the, you know, city-based, or I guess in this case it's planets or colonies, but mm-hmm. um, that kind of micromanagement of each individual node is condensed into like one screen called the empire view which mm. i think is this game's greatest innovation is that you can you can reassign your citizens in each of those colonies to the different roles like in any forex you've got your food industry research right. stripes um and then there's also the fact that you can set up the building queue from that empire view as well. So it's all like condensed into this one screen. It's really quite clever. So All right. I recommend Starbase it. Starbase Orion. Starbase Orion. Available at retailers near you. Yeah, for I think five ninety nine. Five ninety nine. I can't remember. That's not spending. <laughs> That's saving. Well exactly. Yeah. So let's get into the meat of today's podcast. Oh, <laughs> now no. that we've given that royalty-free plug yeah. to Starbase Orion. For Starbase Orion, $5.99. Starbase Orion. Yeah, a download fi- it today. A fine product. Impress your friends. Yeah. Cat has provided us with some research today. Ah, Cat Shanahan. Cat Shanahan. Yep. The Phantom Shanahan. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of, I know a lot of our viewers have, wait a minute. I still think we need to just settle on innocent bystanders. Yes, many of our innocent bystanders have sent us mails requesting that Can't Shanahan come on the podcast. That's true. The yes. inbox is teeming yes. with several notifications. Yes, and uh, she's reluctant, but uh, I'm confident. I'm yes. confident we'll get her on here. Yes. Yeah. At some point. Yeah. I mean, in Wisconsin, only one person has to consent to a recording on a phone call. Hey! I'm just going to put that out yeah, there. Yeah, cool. And then it's legally defensible. <clears throat> Anyways, um, <laughs> so getting into the research. The I want to I wanna hear the stories about you using that in the past. That's what I want to hear. I used to work in call centers. Oh, yeah, that's right. So that's that's the only reason I know. That's I used right. to call and ask people invasive questions about their personal right. health on behalf of the state. Right, so not drug stings or... No, no, okay. no. Um, so the stat, uh, the... Entertainment Software Association has published its annual report on the essential facts about gaming habits in America. Hmm. These facts are essential. And annual. (laughs) And annual. Uh, Surveying over 4,000 households nationwide, the group collected its findings on how many Americans are playing games along with what kinds, how often, and just who those gamers are. And who do they think they are? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And what they've done. Yeah. Um, So... uh, Here's what the average gamer looks like according to these statistics. Mm-hmm. Uh, 63% of U.S. households surveyed include at least one frequent gamer, most likely in the basement. Oh, uh, brutal. That's my own editorial. Oh, oh okay. 
<laughs> I mean, they could ask that. They could find it's that true. out. Yeah, yeah, what yeah. room do you typically yeah. occupy? Yeah. What, yeah, what snack dust is typically on your fingers? <laughs> um, uh, 65% of homes own a video game playing device. Mm-hmm. That's a wonderfully ambiguous phrase. Mm-hmm. Uh, while 48% own a dedicated game console. Ah, okay. Uh, 47% of gamers are between 18 and 49 years old. Hey, that's me. That is you. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. It's all of us. Yeah. Here at Phil and Games that doesn't employ minors. Yeah. Um, and uh, let's see. The average guy who plays games is 35. The average woman is 44. Fascinating. Yeah. 59% of those who play games on a regular basis are men. 41% are women. And the average gamer has been playing video games for 13 years. Now, for that, I am definitely an outlier. Yeah. I'm trying to think when I started. Boy. Yeah, I'm, I I got started early. I think 23 years. Yeah. I've been playing games. Yeah. Um, I've been playing games for about, I think it's like 62 years now. <laughs> yes. Yep. <laughs> Back with your uh, your hoop and sticks, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> running down the dirt road. Um, Just as a large wooden automaton, you know, like <laughs> printed out little little pieces of paper to yes. indicate what would happen next turn. After, yeah. So water wheels. Yeah. So uh, innocent bystanders might be wondering why we're relaying these things. Um, and uh, the topic uh, that that we're kind of trying to frame here today is is the fact that. Whether or not you identify as a gamer, your life is in fact infused with game mechanics and systems. Mm-hmm. We had written a blog post uh, months ago, I think, at this point, uh, called Yes, You Are a Gamer. And mm-hmm. the idea was that there are many elements of game mechanics and game design that are inherent in, in daily life. Mm. And so um, I'm gonna put the spotlight on you, Mr. Norton, as a game design expert. Mm-hmm. Thinking about the ways that we have these gameplay elements in our lifestyle, like what to you are kind of obvious, obvious examples of that? Well, I mean, the obvious examples are the things where we use, um, I mean, you recall our conversation about gamification as sort of a uh, subset of game design rules, the ones that are more content agnostic. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, so feedback mechanisms, points, uh, explicit progression sort of layered on top of things like those types of things have gotten into like everything. Like there's mm-hmm. your car has gamification with, a, a you know, proper speed for the right mileage. You know, uh, you can your thermostat, uh, dieting programs, running fitness tools, Fitbits. I mean, there's all sorts of things. Uh, gamification sort of been in terms of amplification of data and mm-hmm. feedback on that data mm-hmm. has been, you know, uh, has been prevalent for quite some time. Uh, you know, uh, Jane McGonigal's book, Reality is Broken, mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called. Yes. I mean, yeah, kind of lays that all out. Like, you know, the, the time, you know, we've got all this data. We can start using the data in an incentivizing way to start seeing whether or not lots of these things can be improved. Mm-hmm. Um I think there's there's definitely other studies that say things that like extrinsic, purely extrinsic reward models are ultimately undermining to intrinsic 
goal generation, but that's Ooh. another podcast maybe. Well, I don't know if it is actually. Oh, okay. So, you know, that, can we unpack that a little bit? I think that maybe the, the that dichotomy might not be quite as obvious to every, to all the innocent bystanders who are listening today. Um, so, you know, what, what do you, how do you kind of split those apart? How do you differentiate between what you would call an extrinsic motivator um, in this context versus what the intrinsic motivation might be? Oh, sure. Well, so like actually with this podcast, you know, Mm -hmm. so there's been about half of our listeners, we've been mailing them $5 every time they provided proof uh, that they listened to the podcast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, those people have been very dedicated, loyal listeners. It's true. Uh, now that the bucks. other half of the <laughs> listeners <laughs> know about that, they probably resent the fact that they do not get five dollars and right. uh, and uh, yeah. So anyway, that was my quick thought experiment to demonstrate <laughs> that if you attach an extrinsic reward to something, it undermines your intrinsic interest. We didn't, we've, we've given no dollars to anyone. It's true. But, uh, if we did, if we said, "Hey, look, here's an extrinsic reward to do this thing," and it can be a dollar, it can be a badge, it could be a leveling up, uh, it can be a charming flower that gets larger and more beautiful as you go. Whatever it is, um, there is an implication along with it that you must, you should be rewarded because whatever the thing is that you're doing otherwise is not worthy of doing. Um, and it erodes your sense of intrinsic interest. Hmm. Like, uh, you know, if you listen to this podcast and you did get $5 every time and then we stopped doing that, you wouldn't be like, oh, well, I really enjoy listening to the podcast anyway. You'd be like, well, oh, man, now I'm out five bucks. And yeah. I have to listen to this stupid podcast. <laughs> you know, so it, it yeah, it, it can have that effect. And then there's been, uh, you know, uh, this is all, this is like just ping-ponging in my brain. I wish I'd, I should go look for the actual source. But I feel like at some point uh, the Soviet Union had done like some type of badging system for proper communal effort in in different communities and they did their own research and found out that those were sort of undermining people's actual interest in uh, performing Mm. well in their jobs and tasks. So they rolled out gamification in a big way. I think Ian Bogost wrote about it a long time ago. That's probably, if that's interesting to any of you out there, I think Ian Bogost wrote about it. Yes, we will do our diligence and find find an actual link. Yeah, I'm sorry. My brain brain kept (laughs) The, just a shred of that anecdote, so it wasn't a good one to bring up. That's okay. Yeah, but uh, but yeah. So gamification rewards and feedback have gone into all the things, mm-hmm. uh, and I think by and large, one of the natural things of trying to create rich feedback and reward around a thing is usually some amount of effort on like what's the best and easiest way to present the information. Right. And that is, I think, a good, an mm-hmm. inherent good. I would agree with you that. If you throw away the points and stuff, you're like, wait, wait, what's the easiest way to have the person using this to get the information in a way that they can use it? Right. And that streamlining of the information for that optimization of the user experience is, is something that should just happen in good design, period, mm-hmm. not just game design. But often when you have that focus of being like, oh, I really want the user committed to this experience, you spend more time thinking about real usability. Um, and that can be great, can be a great thing. Yeah, I think, it, and you know, you raise this really interesting point of the fact that this extrinsic value can 
in many ways erode the existing value of mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's a really interesting idea to me, which you know it begs the question: like, are there some activities that you know, because there's not any real intrinsic motivation to do that kind of activity, it's it's a really great candidate for these kind of game design elements to be applied to it because they elevate that activity. Um, you know, what I'm thinking of is like paying your credit card bill. There's mm-hmm. there's no joy in that as far. I don't know anyone who's like, yes, another chance to like log in and pay my credit card mm-hmm. bill. Um, but but you might have some enthusiasm for it if you know that you're stacking up huge amounts of cashback bonuses or whatever mm-hmm. uh, because you're repeatedly using that card. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that case, I feel like there is no motivation outside of the gamified elements in that system. Right. Um, so I think that's one thing to consider is like when you're when you're thinking about adding this patina of gamification. Mm-hmm. Um, consider the activity and whether it has intangible value that you that you nevertheless do do take into account yeah, yeah, yeah. when you're doing that activity yep um there's something interesting too about like there's some kind of gradient where it starts with like a badge or we'll call those well it starts with rewards we'll mm-hmm. call those the things that are purely just acknowledgments of accomplishment is like the, the faintest of reward but then like it keeps on moving all the way over to like compensation mm-hmm at a certain point, you're like, this is enough compensation to make this worth doing regard, you know, uh, and it, then it, then, it, then you get a whole new round of intrinsic motivation for the reward. Right. Right. So yeah, if we gave our podcast listeners $500, mm-hmm. you know, they would, they would listen the hell out of it. <laughs> they would listen really hard. Yeah, yeah. You know, they would, uh, we would be like, oh, sorry guys, this podcast four hours long. And they'd be like. <laughs> can do <laughs> or we could be like hey this podcast is going to feature Brandon on the didgeridoo right and then we even want if, even if they'd rather yeah even if they thought maybe it was a didgeridon't then uh, for 500 bucks they'd still go for it <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, no it's true yeah um, <laughs> I don't know how to build on that yeah. point though yeah. I mean yeah, it's uh, to me. I think um, I think that there are just yeah certain contexts where I mean that that is kind of the the struggle of creating reward for something is that you it is a spectrum mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of writing that's been done about behavioral motivation and and the fact that you need to get to a point with you know reward or compensation whatever you want to call it that's mm-hmm. just equitable yeah and acceptable to the person and makes them feel content yeah um because and that's a very like fine balance to strike Mm -hmm. you know go go too far in either direction past that balance and you can either make them feel undervalued or you can diminish their inherent motivation totally once you've moved past the point where they feel like there is an inherent value to it beyond the astronomical compensation they're getting Mm mm-hmm yeah, I mean, sometimes that? sometimes those rewards can help as like, this is brute force. Well, like in a learning game, right? Like sometimes we want to reward you for making very small progress that if you were learning this thing outside of a game environment, it would not be rewarding currently. Mm. So like, uh, I think some of like the word memorization, I'm using this thing called Memrise right now for okay. like trying to regain some of my lost Japanese vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And has a little flower that grows as I remember and do each individual word. Like it tracks how many times I've done each word's exposure. Mm-hmm. 
and uh yeah i mean it's it's flashcards right that's uh, the barest of, of rewards yeah, yeah it's just but I, animation. I i at least temporarily have a fair amount of intrinsic motivation where i'm like i know i want to do this mm-hmm. and from my current perspective i appreciate the fact that i can see in a little visual way how many times i've seen a word and demonstrate that i know it and right. moved along in a smooth progression whereas if i just if i literally had a pile of flashcards you know it would be on me to manage how well I've practiced each one and it mm-hmm. would be annoying. And yeah, so it's like, and you yeah. might like knock them over. Yeah. You got to pick them up again. Yeah. I yeah. Do, I think, I'm sorry. I just, I keep on having one more thought. No, please. This, this is the Continue. last one. I promise. I think sometimes people think gamification will answer like big identity problems or if you're if you're intensely unmotivated to do a thing like if you don't want to lose weight you hate the you know you you just don't want to do it and you're going to get you know this this tracker device it may work for like a day or two Mm -hmm. but ultimately ultimately you do what you want right (laughs) and (laughs) unless the tools that you get actually are somehow that tipping point that change what you want Mm -hmm. or it's not going to happen. I think that's a great point. I think that, you know, in the example of, of Memrise, it's like you you know that there is substantial benefit to be had mm-hmm. in, in knowing the second language. Mm-hmm. It, it can, I mean, you know, the, by being bilingual is, is a hugely beneficial thing in, in, in an, an increasingly globalized world. Mm-hmm. Um, so when, when the activity itself has uh, a lot of benefit and value that is just inherent to what you're doing, the gamification elements can be a very light touch mm-hmm. and still serve you and provide you with a lot of value. Yeah. Like in your case, you're you're getting, you know, this kind of whimsical animation, which is nice, mm-hmm. um, but you're also getting the ability to, you know, like I was, I, I was joking earlier that you could have knocked them over, but it is better to have a digital stack of flashcards that you don't have to store and yeah, yeah, keep yeah. rubber banded. Like there's, there's conveniences that that is providing you as mm-hmm. well. So you're gaining efficiencies. Um, in that process. So um, I would like to divert to another quick segment. Okay. Um, Game Mechanic of the Week. Game Mechanic of the Week. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. It's been a a little while. It's been a while. And um, the thing I want to talk about is, was sort of teased on the last couple podcasts, but I want to talk about casual games. Casual games. Casual (laughs) games. Casual. Filthy. Casual games, <laughs> but not really, not literally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what to me, I'm I'm fascinated by this idea that you know games occupy. Well, this is one thing that um, you know I always loved Roger Ebert, but there's a point where he said that games are not art, right. and he you know made a, a fairly dramatic stance about that. Um, and I, of course, fundamentally disagree with him. I see the amount of art that goes into games uh, every day. Yeah. Um, and without that perspective, I think if he had had that perspective, perhaps it would have changed his mind. But, um, but yeah, you know, where does where is the line between an interactive experience and a passive experience? Um, and and in what way? Can a casual game uh, qualify as as art? That's a really interesting question. Um, well, I, th- I don't think I don't think there's any. Uh, okay, well, first let's let's get our minds wrapped around a good definition of what a casual game is. Let's do that because then we can start talking about 
now that we have this gradient of casual to not casual, mm-hmm. this is somehow line up with an art to not art spectrum. Yeah. Um, so in my mind, the biggest distinction between casual is a casual and a non-casual game is the skill ceiling and the emphasis on the skill ceiling. Okay. So when I say skill ceiling, I mean a game that is designed in such a way that uh, you can, how, how good a good player is, is further and further away from what a, a bad player, right? So there's a bigger gradient of skill to apply. Right. And, you know, so some games, and this is where I'd say the casual games rely, have a very low skill ceiling. You get to a certain point, you're pretty good at it, and you're good enough to do all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think maybe, maybe controversial. I think I'm going to pull this one out. I'm going to see if anyone's feelings are hurt. Crashlands was a casual game. Whoa. Right? I think that's true. I, I don't. I died a couple times, I guess, but at no point was I ever like, oh, I have got to focus up on my mm. skills here, mm-hmm. right? You know, it was, uh, and I say that not because I, because I, I'm not trying to actually insult Crashlands at all. As you know, I loved Crashlands. I thought mm-hmm. it was a great experience, but mm-hmm. it was a game I could pull out my phone, mess around, have fun. Uh, not worry about like, oh, this game is so hard. Right? How am I possibly going to move any further forward in this game? You know, I yep. just it was just a great, smooth, beautiful, well written experience, and it wasn't at all interested in punishing me for not being good enough. I did. I found myself doing some kiting in that game. Oh, sure. When uh-huh. I was fighting stuff, yeah. so you know, the kind of evasive maneuvers, and then selectively attacking, and then evading again. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think you're right that there, so like that to me was probably the most, like the hardest chorused part right. <laughs> of the game. Yep. Um, <clears throat> there's all of the crafting elements and all of the resource harvesting. Um, the fact that all of these different activities were basically condensed into one interface mm-hmm. action. You, mm-hmm. you know, you just tapped <laughs> yep. or you poked yep. um, as they, as they put it in the tutorial text. Um, Whereas, like, you know, if you're playing Minecraft, you're like, oh, this is a rock. I need to get up my pick and then swing it. Like, mm-hmm. Crashland would do all that for you, you know, mm-hmm. and cycle the right tool into your hands and the right weapon. Does it all. Um, so you're right. I think there were – that game is something of a hybrid mm-hmm. between the casual and the not casual. Um, and I think that serves mobile really well because yes. the touchscreen is such a limited interface. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've never played a game that has, like, the on-screen buttons where I was just like, this is a wonderful experience. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I was like, oh, here. Oh, not really. Yeah, I, exactly. Not really doing it. Yeah, I've I've never I've never used the approximation of a controller that is overlaid over a mobile game and found it to be as enjoyable as mm-hmm. using an actual controller, which is, I think is probably why Apple has put out the the controllers that they have now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so I think that um, you know the casual game can kind of serve as a bridge between, you know, the the shortcomings of the platform mm-hmm. and and an optimal user experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's the case with Crashlands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that um just want to talk about that that one other um, progress quest. 
Yes. Right. Well, th- this is a game that you don't play at all. <laughs> right. Uh, oh. <laughs> and and to be clear, Brandon's not saying that I, Dan Norton, don't play it because I do play it. But right. That the game plays itself. Right. That is yes. the, that is the second person generic you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, where, yeah, you just you basically hit a start button. Yep. And then you just kind of yeah. I don't know, grab a pina colada and just hang out. Yep. Um, I used to run like four once. <laughs> Min-maxing. Uh, yeah, progress yeah, I was like, quest. well, this is very efficient. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was multi-boxing progress yeah. quest, man. Yep. Um, yeah, and in that case, um, I feel like that's <laughs> that is just purely a, a, like an amusement for your brain to just mm-hmm. kind of have something to apply your imagination to. I yep. can't I can't really think of any other utility um, for the casual me- mechanic in that case. Mm-hmm. Um but an excellent point about Crashlands, and yeah. that a casual mechanic can be put into a game that isn't strictly like of that genre, right? Um, and actually can serve it quite well. Yeah, and maybe an interesting game on the spectrum would be Hearthstone, mm-hmm. because there are certainly people much better than I am at Hearthstone, um, and I've played a fair amount of Hearthstone. Um, but at the same time. Many of the professional players struggle with the fact that there's a lot of randomness in that game, mm-hmm. and a lot of the play at the top level, uh, like to grind up that ladder, is really more about playing more games. Yep, I remember talking to Jason Fularski about that, our mm-hmm. dear friend, who basically was just, yeah, he he said Hearthstone doesn't do it for me because it's too random. Yeah, and he's he's pretty hardcore with magic. So yeah, yeah, it's that it's that same kind of. Profile. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think Hearthstone has definitely a well. It definitely has a high skill high skill ceiling because I'm I'm not the best at it. So obviously, it must be difficult to get there. You're no, better yeah. than me. Yeah. So you must be some kind of freak. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> it's always true, right? Yeah. The people who aren't as good at you are scrubs, and the mm-hmm. people who are better than you are are Spend way too much time. Losers. Yeah. yeah. Don't have a life. That's how it is. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone else is worse. <laughs> yeah. The people who are just as good at you get it. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Get it. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, I think Hearthstone is, you know, I think is obviously, certainly in the full spectrum of games, a pretty uh, non-casual game. But still, like when you talk about people really reaching for the real skill ceiling games, Hearthstone is controversial, I think, it's mm-hmm. fair to say. Um, yeah, so if that's my spectrum mm-hmm. of what's casual not, then well, I've already picked a lovely, beautiful, artistic game, Borderlands, as my casual example. So at least for me... Crashlands. Oh, oops. Well, I like Borderlands too. Yeah. <laughs> not quite as yeah. casual. But yeah, not quite. An- as... Another excellent yeah. game. Actually, f- yeah. All right. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. It is actually also for a first person shooter, one of the more casual games, I would say. I think that's true. Yeah. 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 Just, you know, snipe your way through a pleasant story. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> as you do. As as one yeah. would do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, Crashlands. Crashlands. Mm hmm. Lands of Crashing, uh, <laughs> obviously a wonderful game, uh, well written, beautiful art. So it it passes that first test of like, mm-hmm. if it, if the games are not as like well is it built, is it made of art? Yeah, and yes, of course. <laughs> but as a cohesive experience, I think it's it's very expressive and 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 yeah, definitely art. All right, so I would not I would not put some uh, kibosh on casual games being art. I mean, there's certainly bad casual games. Mm-hmm. There are games that you're like that are like this is garbage. Mm-hmm. But there's also super garbagey non-casual games too. That's fair. This is all true. Yeah, 
Man. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have conclusively decided that casual games can, in fact, be art. Yeah, I feel that way. And if you disagree with us, then you're just wrong. You're just wrong. <laughs> Sorry. Yep. Yep. <laughs> or, or you can write in. Yeah. Care of Cat Shanahan. Yeah. She'll handle it. Yeah. <laughs> She's already used to the deluge of fan mail. So. Exactly. Yeah. One more letter on the stack won't 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 bother her. That's right. And one more segment won't bother me in this oh. podcast. Oh, I think I know what it is. It's make Dan right. Norton feel dumb. It is, it is make Dan Norton feel dumb time. Uh, all right. With yes. fact or fabrication. Fact. Fabrication. So this week, I've chosen the theme of things you might not know about a game designer. All right. And I want to start by saying that here's a couple things you might not know about Dan Norton. Wait, and I have to answer? No, I'm just, this is just for the, oh. just for the audience. Oh, okay. I was yeah, like, you know, you know all this stuff. Because that would be the next <laughs> level of embarrassment if you did a quiz about myself that I got wrong. So the two things you might not know about Dan Norton, he made a knife last weekend. I did. Forged. Hammered. The whole thing, the whole ground, shrine. carved, etc. And he was—he showed it to me while being while covered in armor. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> <laughs> because <laughs> because he's also a cyclist, a motorcyclist. Oh, yeah. So okay. you were demonstrating this knife to me as you were like you had like arm plates on. Oh yeah, and yeah. And I yeah. just felt like you were just this cool futuristic cyberpunk warrior man. <laughs> <laughs> and it was neat. You know, I do feel like over the last five years or so, I've like started experimenting with more and more bad decisions in my life, mm. like motorcycling and making knives, yeah, and making of, knives. out of hot metal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so far, no regrets on right. the bad decision train. <laughs> I'll obviously keep you updated. Yeah, we'll check back in in a yeah. couple episodes on that one. Um, so, uh, so I was trying my motorcycle knife throwing <laughs> hobby. Where you throw knives off your motorcycle. So I was riding my motorcycle that I made out of knives. There you go, right. Um, so Good let's, mileage. Let's, <laughs> yes. So uh, a fact and a fabrication uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Um, here they are in no particular order. Okay. Uh, they are about Tim Schafer. Tim Schafer. Famously the game designer at Double Fine. Yes. Um, of LucasArts fame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the days of yore. And Sid Meier. Sid Meier. Who we all know and love. Civilization. That's right. Tycoons of various kinds. Yeah. <laughs> um, Pirates and railroads. Yeah. And both, both just excellent humans. Um, so here's a couple of statements about them. Okay. Statement one. In his first job interview for a playtesting position at LucasArts, Tim Schafer openly admitted to having pirated one of their games. Okay, that's fact number one. Uh-huh. Fact number two, Sid Meier was inspired to make Railroad Tycoon by the summers that he spent in Nagano, Japan, watching the bullet trains. Just let me know if you want me to repeat either of those. No, I'm just thinking. Watching the bullet trains. How old are those bullet trains, Brandon? I'm not sure. I didn't do any research into that part. <laughs> oh, man, you're good. Okay, all right. Well, I... See, I'm in the same spot. Okay, so let's see. First first week, I trusted my gut. That's right. And I got it wrong. Yep, second week. Second you week, I def- betrayed my gut. You defied it. And yep. I got it wrong. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go back <laughs> to trusting my gut. All right. Um, I think... Tim Schafer is a plucky, uh, 
overly honest kind of guy and very charming. He's I a th- rascal. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I feel like him I think I feel like he could successfully pitch, Hey, I stole one of your games in an interview and have that go great. Um so I'm choosing that as true. Tim Schaefer, when applying, said he stole a game. This is a seminal moment because you are correct. Oh yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> that was indeed the fact. Um, yeah, he uh, he he said that he had told the guy who was interviewing that he had never played one of the like premier games that they had put out, mm-hmm. <laughs> and he was generally awkward. Uh, but still got the job. Yeah. Which is great. Nice. And uh, you were right on the money. The Nagano did not have high-speed rail until 1997. All right. <laughs> well after Railroad Tycoon was released. Yeah, I was I lied saying. to you. I did, in fact, do research okay. into that part of it. <laughs> um, yeah. But, yeah, the the, uh, the trains he saw were actually uh, at his grandparents' house mm-hmm. in the summer when he was a young child, and he was always impressed by their timeliness. So he went to the station at every opportunity, and that's why his first major project was Railroad Tycoon. You know, I think it's probably worth me explaining to the viewers how I've, I've, I'm have i stepping up my game for fact fabrication. <laughs> uh, I'm now looking... I know that Brandon's strategy is currently to look for one one component of a fact and alter it to make it the lie. That makes it a very good lie. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now, now when I'm thinking about what Brandon says, I'm considering... Is there one component of this that seems like an outlier that even not necessarily seems wrong, but seems changeable? <laughs> I'm like, is there one variable that's easy to turn? Well, I'm going to have to go back to the laboratory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you, yeah. You've cracked I my let you know. <laughs> I want to let you know that I'm. that's my next level. And uh, and that one, I was like, okay, there's this. There's an explicit now right up in here. Yeah. And, well, I, and the Tim Schafer one, hard to figure out what you would have mushed around in it. All right. Yeah. That's good advice. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Next time they will both be false. (laughs) (laughs) Next time you'll just shoot me. (laughs) Welcome to Fact Fabrication. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. And that's that. (laughs) All right. Well, on that very violent note, that is (laughs) all the time we have for today. So thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Yes. Thanks to all but one of you out there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah. what you've done. You know what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning, and what goes on inside our studio, subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher. 